0: Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Lowdown. Today I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by the Academy Director of New York Red Bulls, Sean McCaffrey. Sean, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, appreciate it. Uh, honestly, it's a pleasure to be here and looking forward to uh, having some good discussion.
0: Another Irishman to add to the list, Sean. <laughs> and, I mean, we're a better place to begin. Growing up in Derry, can you bring us through your first ever football memory?
1: uh there was a great place to grow up um I lived in a place called Gelia, which was kind of council homes or rooms as far as the eye could see so we've never you were never short of uh getting two teams to go to play um so now as far back as I can remember it was just playing uh with neighbors and older 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 boys and what have you and my next door neighbor Martin Nunez actually was a Liverpool fan so it's his fault I'm a Liverpool fan but uh but just uh, growing up, playing for the local team, Murfield, and, and it's just playing for enjoyment, but was lucky enough to, you know, develop something and some, some some okay attributes growing up and get across the water and what have you. And, you know, lucky enough to go in places like Battenham Forest, Norwich City, Everton, clubs like that. So it was around then I was thinking, all right, this could be something, you know, you can get into and something that you could be uh, potentially trying to make a career out of. So, but nah, growing up in Derry and playing with, we were just lucky as well in my age group. A lot of a lot of players went on to play at a decent level, a lot higher level than I did. So um, not nah, really enjoyable and fell in love with the game then. And as
0: my dad told me, you hadn't had a proper job since. But it's a funny one because, I mean, later on, we'll speak about youth developments, but you find that too, Sean. I mean, it's a common trend in this podcast too. I mean, interview a lot of people, ask that same question about earliest football memory and they always tend to go back to, yeah, living in these huge housing states, huge games of 20v20 football. Is it like, it's not necessary, but it obviously helps to have had a football and running like that. I think so. I mean,
1: especially, I mean, obviously, um, you know, you did not have your, your devices now. I think, I mean, I have kids of my own and their iPads, phones and all that where, you know, our, our toy was outside it was just get outside and, and do whatever you want, try to stay out of trouble, but it was just play football and and just silly games. Like, <laughs> talk about, you know, headers and volleys, something as stupid as that, but that's how you learn technique. That's how you learn little things that maybe, you know, um, it, just in a in an informal way. So, we were always touching a ball, doing something, and learning. Probably not thinking, we are learning at the same time. Um, so, every day, there was always a game, so every day you're playing, and and ultimately, I think you've heard from you know, people, obviously, a lot older than me. That's, that's where they learned. They learned on the streets. And in Derry, we were lucky. Uh, Murfield, we'd, uh, you know, me dad and another friend of mine, Mark McKeever, his father, they, they would kind of be coaching us. But they were just they were just there, making sure, you know what I mean, facilitating. There was no real coaching going on until we got a bit older. So you just figured stuff out. And there's still a lot to be said for that. You know, there's, yeah. there's, for me, probably... One of the biggest things for coaches is just over-coaching, coaching for themselves, love the sound of their own voice type thing, and they forget that the players learn the most by just playing and, and, and experiencing, so it's one of the things even here at our level that we, we focus on. The, the most important learning is learning through experiencing.
0: I think, too, it's on a deeper level as well. It's kind of cultivating that love and cultivating that curiosity for that unconscious repetition, we call it, in terms of playing on a variety of services. You could be playing in your basement, be it here in London, Ontario, with the weather at the moment, you could be playing in grass fields at home, or grass up to your ankles. You could be playing on driveway on the concrete at home. <laughs> You're still getting in all those reps. But I mean, amongst all of that, Sean, I mean, where did coaching come into play? Um, so when we went, the uh, I was it was a YT at
1: Peterborough. So I moved over to England when I was 15, 16, and, and and part of that, the FA put you through your your coaching, your first coaching, your prelim badge. So get introduced it a little bit there, and then from there. You're always looking to earn a few extra pounds to be honest with you. So then the youth programs would always bring the youth team players in to do a little bit. Um, and I kind of enjoyed it. They just loved being around the, the younger players and the energy they give you and just the innocence and the, and the passion they had. So I, that was the first time I remember thinking, you know what, this could be, you know, this could be something I could do. And one of the coaches at the time, you know, is probably trying to tell me you weren't going to make the next grade, to be honest with you. And he says, you know, coaching, you seem to have a ticket naturally, seems to be something you enjoy. So um, that was it. And um, and then, uh, again, pff, ridiculously modest uh, career. I am um, back there and playing League of Ireland an um, Irish League. Wasn't going to make me 11. I was back in Darien and probably getting on a routine. I shouldn't be getting on there, to be honest with you. Um, and had an opportunity to come to America then, and that was it. Once I had an opportunity to come over, it was um, a friend of mine and a former coach, Tony Williams and Barry Love. Just a brilliant opportunity to come over to Pennsylvania, work some camps, do a little bit of work. And I just fell in love with it. And I said, "This is it." And I was young, twenty two, I think it was at the time. And I said, "This is it for me." So we ended up then. I think it was a Valley at the time. I said, "Listen, this is. I just want to kind of, you know, tear up the contract a bit and I just really just commit to being a coach at a young age." And and that's what I did. And it was a great opportunity. Um, and again, love home, but I need to get out of it. I need to get out. Of, I need to get out of our and dairy and and try and uh, do something different.
0: Sounds a case of burning the boats
1: <laughs> a wee bit.
0: And I mean, like for those of who are watching this on YouTube, I mean, you can see the Red Bull crest on your chest, Sean. I mean, however, it was another experience would have been a Paris Academy that would have been quite formative in your coaching career. It was. um, I was in in the Pennsylvania area for about 15 years. So met my wife
1: there and, you know, with children that, and bought a house and was comfortable. Um, working with FC Delco, uh, who were obviously a you know a kind of big club and had produced players in the past, even managers. You know Benny Olsen came through there, Zach Stefan came through there, and among many. So it was a great experience. But it was when Barca Academy opportunity came along, and I, I took the phone call. It was on the Academy Directors course, and I think that's why I got the phone call. So um, it was just something different. It, let's go out and exp- have a look at it first. My wife didn't want to move, but went to Arizona to Casa Grande. And the weller was beautiful. The facility was fantastic. And then the project, uh, the owner he said, listen, we're, you know, we couldn't tell me right then, but we're going to be doing a partnership with FC Barcelona. And I mean, listen, as far as methodologies go, there's, you know, it's hard to argue there's anything better um, historically in developing top players. So convinced the, convinced the misses, um, they kind of took it, it out there. And it was unbelievable, honestly, just I think at that point as a coach, I thought I was a a good coach or a decent coach. And I realized when I got there, I was nowhere near as good as I thought I was or decent. I just learned so much Um, the details, the reasons of all the activities, that, you know, just everything mattered the attention, the detail, the standards. Um, So it was an unbelievable experience going out there. The environment, like I said, players went to school there. They dorm, you know, the residency component was really interesting for me. Um, So, you know, the first six months scouting, putting teams together um, with, with Miha Klein, the director there. It was just an absolutely fantastic experience and fortunate, to be honest with you. We got to go to La Masia a few times to to obviously take some of our top talents over there. Um, you know, Nate, first one of the first groups, we had Julián Araujo, who's over there, Matthew Hoppe. So we we're just lucky to have a good group and they built a bit of credibility. And I think the relationship's gotten even stronger from then, but just seeing that level, what they do. Um, again, for me it was just an unbelievable experience. And I for a hundred
0: percent, I learned more in that two and a half years than I did in the previous fifteen. And I mean, to the common man or to the common football man, so to speak, Sean, I mean, it would have represented a big enough transition, leaving Bears Academy, moving on to Red Bull, you know, two unique yet separate styles of football. How did you find that transition at the time?
1: Yeah, it was it was interesting to me because I think with with every Philosophy methodology, it has its strengths, but it also has its, in my opinion, anyway, um, maybe its weaknesses. I think when it's too stringent and there's not room for some adaptability and flexibility, I think there's just a ceiling. Uh, and for me, I just felt it was limiting. Uh, and this opportunity to learn something new and something different. Um, I mean, listen, a ball recovery phase and against the ball, very very similar, right? Is is you know, it's you want the ball back as quickly as you can. All of those. The pressing, counter pressing, um, triggers and what have you. But what was really interesting for me here at Red Bulls is how can we merge in both? How can we merge both philosophies to create something that's not just dominant with the ball or not just dominant against the ball, but can be dominant with both? And especially in youth football, you know, we're trying to develop holistic players, more well rounded players, because the game's evolving, the game's changing. And at the end of the day, there's more than one phase of the game and more, one more more than one phase of play. So we, we, for me, it was a really interesting project and something I felt, uh, would help me develop as a, as a director. Obviously I took on the director's role and I was no longer coaching when I came here. Um, so bringing in the staff and and trying to implement that has been unbelievably enjoyable. Um, visibly I've seen the improvement from day one. We've came in, um, when it was, you know, I'm not afraid to say, I've said it many times, it's a bit of a car crash, too many players that weren't at the level. Too many players that were hundred mile an hour but couldn't slow down to make good decisions uh, or execute them technically. So it was a good, it was a great challenge. And and again for for us and, and we feel that in the past three and a half years we're in a really good position. Um, and it's a fantastic club because they play young players. That that was the biggest thing for me. Gunter was, I'm at a club that will play young players and push their players through. So as an academy director, that's all you need. Like just that motivation and that, um, and that to be to be fair, motivates all of the staff who are here as well.
0: And for those that are unfamiliar about Red Bull, although I doubt that there are a few, I mean, take us through the Red Bull identity because you see it across F1, you see it across football, you see it across the cliff diving and a whole host of other sports and different pursuits, Sean. It is just there, visible, underpinning everything that is done.
1: it it is i mean it's it's one of the most exciting you know parts of it being involved with this with this club is it's it's a global brand but it's not just a global football brand i mean we're it's red bull it's an energy drink um so the style of football and everything you do has to be has to match it you know somebody said one time and you know you you want to slow down like no 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 i don't work for FC Zanex. i work for for red bull and this is who we are high intensity high energy and um and everything that we do and and Innovation as well, Like right? You talk about Red Bull and it's innovative. Everything that they do, you know, as you just alluded to, with the, not just the Formula One, but these X games and the, and the crazy things they attempt shooting a lad in this space. So it's just, it's an unbelievable organization to work for because they always want to be on the, the cutting edge, you know what I mean? Um, and everything that they do. And, and so the football world, obviously, you know, Champions League teams, obviously now with Bragantino in, in, uh, in Brazil and ourselves in New York. So it's just an unbelievable resource they have for some of the best practices and what works in certain continents and what we can take and what we can implement here. Um, So now genuinely coming here to Red Bull, I couldn't have picked a a better, more of
0: a dream job, to be honest, as a director. And take us through that as well, because you just mentioned it there, Red Bull, of course, being Red Bull New York, being part of multi-club network. I mean, most coaches that listen to this, Sean, you know, they're there coaching grassroots clubs, they're operating not necessarily in silos, but clubs living on their own island. But I imagine the economies of scale available to you working at an organisation like Red Bull, being able to sit down and get on a Zoom and speak to the guys in Austria, Germany, even as far as Brazil, must be quite interesting to say the least.
1: It, it it really is. I mean, obviously, it's um, each each club has its own little nuances and the, the culture is slightly different. But at the end of the day, they're still a part of the Rebel family and, and there's some non-negotiables that we discuss. But it's it, it's there. It's there for everybody, for every staff member. So your peers, whether you're an athletic trainer whether you're it, it's there for everybody to learn and, and have that mindset of, a you know, let's continue to learn, let's continue to check and challenge you know, present what you're doing, you know what I mean? Not always getting things from us, but how can we be the pioneers in certain areas uh, here in New York for the, for the organization? So I think that's, it's exciting. I mean, obviously you get to go over there. We, you know, we took four of our top talents there to Leipzig in the summer and we go to the the next gen tournament um, in Salzburg every year, take our under 16s every year. You know, we're fantastic. We played Inter Milan, Benfica, Independiente de Valle. Just get to play against these top, top organizations and then just communicate and chat with your peers when you're there. And then obviously from there, build relationships. So then, you know, Zoom calls and, you know, make sure you're catching up and just sharing some best practices. And it, it does. It opens up our, I, I would say it opens up our uh, ability to, to learn, you know, tenfold uh, as compared to maybe somebody who's not part of that multi club uh, organization.
0: Exactly, and I think it's the openness and the curiosity to learn which is key because, I mean, you speak about the start of your tenure compared to now Red Bull, almost like two separate academies. Um, You went in at the start, in your own words, you said it was a little bit of a car crash in terms of the players that were identified and whatnot. Now, you said the methodology has slightly changed to kind of wave in the positional brand of football, so on and so forth. Can you take us through exactly how has that methodology changed for developing youth players over time?
1: Yeah, I think obviously when we would for people who maybe don't know Red Bull when you think about it is you know it's about efficiency and effectiveness, right? And it's when we have it, you know, we win the ball back. We're, we're trying to go to goal and score, right? That that's exactly it. And and I think a lot of teams are like that. The opponents are not organized; they're unbalanced, so it makes a lot of sense. So that's that's what we try to do. What we think we tried to implement a little bit is the understanding of when that's not on, what now? You know what I mean? It, it can't still be you know, down your throat when it just doesn't make sense. So we're trying to develop players who are youth players. that They're still developing cognitively. So we have to be able to help them and understand the, the situations of the game and the decision-making piece of it and the why, right? And, and ultimately when they get to them to that next level, whether it's the second team or the first team, yeah, then it's about that next step, but winning and understanding that at a higher level. But we we honestly are just trying to get our players to understand that you know, it can't be a hundred miles all the time. There has to be in you know, the term 170. When Chris Armas was here, he used that quite often is in those big moments, can you slow down just a little bit for the finalization piece? Can you slow down to see the picture where okay, help with a better decision? Um, so for us it was really about implementing that and, and making sure that and it took a while, don't get me wrong, because it goes into the scouting types of players you're bringing in, so they're not all the same. It goes into the, you know, the the profiles of what we're looking for. It can't all be certain positions where it's all about speed, quickness, athleticism, endurance. You, you know, you need, you know, we always say you need piano piano players as well. Uh, as well as, um, you know, so we want a different type of player in, in different positions. So it really was um, over, and again, COVID hit something, but it was over that three and a half years. And, and I feel we're still not there. We're about six months to a year out of the full You know, the first group we came in, in cycling through. We're about that and we're really excited with the younger age groups we have. We have a much better balance. We've a much better um you know players who have a better understanding of the game. So we're we are getting closer in our mind to being dominant in all phases, not all the time, but at least teaching and developing players that feel that way and at least going with that mentality.
0: Exactly. So for want of a better phrase, I suppose the player players were really missing that little piece of extra context, that game insight, position, moment, direction, speed, call it whatever you will, or combination of the above. I mean, if you're a youth player at Red Bull and you're layering that context on top, what does that education look like, Sean? How does that learning exactly take place? Yeah, I mean, it's...
1: It's on and off the pitch. The best learning happens on the pitch, but these young players are, they, they learn visually video. We do a lot of video. The coaches do a lot of video, um, whether it's position specific group. Um, but for us, it was really, it was on the pitch. The the intensity they train at is nothing like I'd ever experienced in my 22 years. The intensity wasn't the problem. the The work rate wasn't the problem. The willingness wasn't the problem. It was, putting the quality and the the consistency of the execution as as a standard, as important as all the other stuff I just alluded to. And that's where the learning really happened. It's, it's what you prioritize or what they prioritize as coaches. You have to celebrate somebody doing the dirty work when an attacker leads their goal, absolutely making it last day. But we also have to celebrate the player who can break a line with a, you know, perfectly weighted pass at the correct foot to give that nonverbal deterrent really celebrating the, and and the, with the ball attributes as much as we did the against the ball. And, you know, again, this is youth development, especially 12, 13, 14. We have to develop players who are much more well-rounded um, because when they go to our first team, it, it, the league's getting to such a high level, just working hard won't get it done. There has to be quality uh, when we win it. And again, for us, it's all about efficiency and effectiveness. Um, And we've had success with that in the past, but I think developing higher-level players for our first team is
0: one of our biggest missions. And studying and preparation for this podcast, speaking to you off-air, I mean, it seems to be very much holistic, that development piece. I know, Sean, you yourself, you're huge into the education piece as everyone in Red Bull and you two, you're big on not skipping the steps when it comes to youth development. You mentioned, I think it was on the official Red Bull podcast before, Accelerate and Development through the professionalization of the environment. Now, how does that exactly happen? Yeah, we, we
1: kind of introduced a lot of different initiatives. Um, one of the biggest ones, uh, most recently, is an individual development program. So, you know, we've got the school on site um, and we're able just to, we're gaining more contact time is what we're doing. Uh, and ultimately, there's various ways, in our opinion, to accelerate development. Uh, number one is additional contact time, getting into the nuances, the details, whether it's position specific, whether it's individual based, what they need, but making sure everybody's got their own IDP. And it sounds cliche. Everybody has it. But what are we doing to, to work on it? Video, nutrition, um, you know, in the gym, all those things, leaving the handy chance, really. Right now, we're scratching the surface with some of our top talents, say 15 of the, the top talents, Um, but we have put a director of that program to really get into the details. So Sammy Castellanos um, you know, is doing an unbelievable job there, and we're just getting started. So that, for us, accelerates their development. Another way for us to do it is obviously then through um, exposure and opportunity. So we're a club, and I've alluded to it before. We play a lot of players up, like four, five, six, every age group, just to get them out of their comfort zone, to challenge them as much as possible. Um, I mean, our first team's the youngest in the MLS right uh, and it's it, it's that way all the way through our second team last year is the same way it's for us it's about exposing our young players to to difficult situations because you find out then who solves them, who's the problem solvers right then it, it happen at different stages. Um, but you have to throw them the deep end and find out and, and can they swim and the, for us again, everybody will get the opportunity whether they dip in bring them back, go back again, some of them go in and make an immediate impact. You know, Surgeon Gomez, 16 years of age, scored two MLS goals last year. John Tolkien's been flying. He's got I think it's 80-something MLS games and he's at 2002. Um, Daniel Edaman, the U-20 captain,'s gone in there. And they're not just part of the squad, they're they're contributing players. And that's the biggest thing for us. Are we developing players who contribute to the success of the first team? And then players who have a return on investment, um, it could be an asset and a value to the club down the line. Um in we can only do that by accelerating their development. We can't we can't keep them in their comfort zone. If it means we don't win certain things, who cares? Doesn't matter. Nobody will keep their job for winning a MLS next on their 17 league. It's about developing pros and pushing them through. If you win one in the process, great. But um you can
0: develop a winning mentality without prioritizing winning. That's a good point. And that brings me to my next question, which is like you're obviously speaking there about the professionalization of the environment, you know, pushing players over the line, seeing who can last in those uncomfortable situations. But, you know, with the success that you guys had or are, are currently having too, it creates sometimes unfair expectations. So this is lending me now towards a coaching lens, so to speak, Sean, is what are the coaches doing? How has coach development changed in alignment with basically the changes that have been occurring in the environment you have for developing young players?
1: it starts with the best people, right the our coaches and, and that staff they run the academy like they're the ones that you know we can set all the standards in the world and as many powerpoints as you want. they they have the standards on the pitch. they are the ones that that get the best out of the players. Um, that's where it started for us. We just raised the standards of everyday training. We just we just every minute matters. every single minute matters there's no throwaway activities. You know, there's a lot of oh, you know, what's this one for? We're just getting them warmed up. What's the waste of your time? What do you do? Like, every, no, can't waste a minute. We don't have enough time with them. So that's kind of the mentality of the staff. What I loved about what I love about the staff is they're always in a healthy way trying to outdo each other in certain things. But there's a real collaboration between them, um, just to raise the standards. You know, in somebody's winning something or somebody doing something to a level higher than everybody else, creates a bit of banter as well. But it actually raises the level of the you know what I mean? The coaches who maybe need to catch up, but somebody else would be better in a certain area, in a different area. So it's just a, it's a, it's an unbelievable culture that they've created and that they have in there. And when for me to go and watch training and observe training and just see it is, for me, it's just a pleasure. I'm watching the players. The coaches are top coaches. Um, can they get better? Absolutely. Do we try and help develop them? Yep. But ultimately, it's they've created a great environment. The players are just getting after it. We're in the Northeast where, again, out there tonight, it's cold, and but they're just getting after it. They just compete. You don't, It's one of the things you never have to ask for, ever. Um, and so the environment is best with best. Players
0: are going to come out of that environment. We just have to hopefully facilitate and not get in their way. And I mean, like you've been at the forefront of youth development there, Sean, for 20 plus years. And what references of two of the most famous ideolo- ideologies in your hard drive? I mean, where do you see the next evolution going in youth development? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting
1: one. So um, I'm actually currently doing a master's. And in, in for my dissertation, I think I'm, I'm the cognitive development side. I think there's a lot of research I've gone into, you know, predicting future talents through genetics, predicting future prospects through, um, you know, growth maturation, physical testing, all of that. But I still think we're scratching the surface of how we can predict and predict and then develop the cognitive side because ultimately the brain's still the most important muscle, the body, you know what I mean? And so for me, that's, what's really interesting is I think we're, I I do believe here in the U S we're probably, we don't address it enough. We don't focus on it enough um, at the younger age groups. Um, And I think for me, the more intelligent players we can create, then we have everything else. We literally have everything else. And you and I talked about it before we come on, but, the game has grown massively, and it, it's a culture shift, right? The game is—I think it, I read something now with it's taken over, maybe an ice hockey and viewership, and it's it's going to be basketball and, and base. It's coming for them as well. World Cup comes. It's just going to be unbelievable. So, how can we then even professionalize it even more? Sports psychologists, right? Um, again, kind of mental coaches. Just how can we help the players develop their brain? To go along with the technical and the physical, I think that's the biggest area we have to improve, improve and address in order to catch up. Because we're getting better here, but so is everybody else, right? The fences aren't falling behind, and the, you know, uh, so for me, that's where I see it at, at the at the MLS level and the academies, where there's the most uh, room for growth. I think better, more better coaches will hopefully develop more better players. Um, the coach development education stuff is, is definitely improved um, over the last twenty years massively since I've been here. Um, so we're making great strides. I, I, again, people say, "What are we, we're doing a lot of things really well." It just we're in the infancy stages. Exactly. We're we're just in the infancy stages. People are expecting too much too soon, in my opinion. It's having
0: that patience to what's that quote Patience to plant seeds <laughs> under which it, trees you'll never see grow. You know. It, it's, exa- it's exactly it. It's exactly it. It's funny. One of our,
1: our Johnson Rhodes, our 17th uh, coach did a presentation at the coaches convention there and he, one of his slides and he goes, we have to be, we have to be experts and patience." And it's exactly what you're alluding to. We just have to, it's not an overnight thing. We have to be patient and it's step-by-step step, and fail and try something different and succeed. And, but we have to be that, not just here as for us as a club and, but just as, in my in my opinion, is, is a kind of football community here, you know, we're talking, everybody getting excited, but the last World Cup and now 2026, there's very few countries that you don't just pick a, a year and go, we're going to win it then, that's it. We're going to win road. not that easy. We can just kind of keep getting better. And I, I think for me anyway, I think we have every year.
0: So experts in patients, experts in sports psychology, experts in nutrition, experts in analysis. <laughs> Before you catch touched coaching sounds like an easy gig
1: Yes, and that's it right I mean there can be too much Uh, don't get me wrong you see the staffs now it's crazy it's almost like the American football staffs there's more coaches and players Um, and these you know and the Premier League clubs and what have you so you know but I just think the more support and the more you know if we can immerse more players in the environments that have been proven to produce players you know We're still, how many in in a continent, how many residences are there? How many homesteads are there? There's still too many factors still that we can't, what are they eating? You know, they're coming from school and have they eaten, have they eaten well and things of that nature. So one of the best things definitely about Barca Academy was everything was controlled, right? And people can argue whether for that or against it, but everything was controlled. We knew what they're eating. You know, they were sleeping there. We knew what the gym workouts were. They were, you know, they weren't teammates, they were brothers, so to speak. And it's it one of the best things I can say about the place. It just it developed pros. When you look at it from real Salt Lake, were there, you know, Justin Glad and I think it was 25% of the US 20 World Cup team was from Real Salt Lake. It wasn't a coincidence, it was the only residency in the country. Um, and so then, but now other clubs are, are starting to do that and 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 reap the rewards. You know, Philly Union have done a, a fantastic job and and they come in there. Um, and, and at the homestays and at the school. And, you know, and, and to be honest, we're playing a bit of catch-up there. Uh, I think FC Dallas have obviously done some of that as well. But but these are all clubs that play young players. So we can do the best academy in the world. If you're not at a club that's willing to play young players and, and believe in young players, then all that work doesn't matter. So it, it has to be a, a line from top to bottom. And I think, you know, the clubs I just mentioned, including ourselves, um, you know, do the best uh, the best job in, in the US.
0: With that being said, it's it's intriguing for my lens, and I know that of those listening to reflect back in that cognitive development piece, Sean, because I think that mental agility and conditioning is so paramount to the development of the new players of the future. I mean, you look back and watch a game even from 10, 15 years ago, it's two completely different sports in terms of the pace in much the game is played. Yeah.
1: I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. There's, the demands are unbelievable. The, the demands have never been as... Is high just the you know, nothing's getting slower, doesn't matter what sport it is. World records are being broken, everything's getting faster, everybody's getting stronger. But the demands, the game's getting younger.
0: So, these young Sean, I mean, we were just speaking there about cognitive development, very interesting piece. And what we're speaking about there, I mean, the mental agility and conditioning for me of you know, youth development nowadays is paramount to creating that future player. And we were only speaking off air there about players are watching games from 10 15 years ago like it's night and day compared to the modern game.
1: No it is and as we talked about just the the speed in which the game is played um you talk about every single player is quick strong athletic and the demands uh on players is is greater than ever covering more distances and, and everything you know data there's nowhere to hide um and, and and things of that nature gps is so and and for me that's all the physical side but then there's the mental side of how do you deal with that? How do you deal with a young player in the changing room? It's it's the, the, all the teams are getting younger, and it's a it's a difficult thing for a young player. And I get we signed a fourteen-year-old. I think NYCFC signed a fourteen-year-old RSL. They're signing pro contracts at fourteen. You know these boys, and and they need help. They need people to help them get through it and deal with it. Um, you throw them into these changing rooms. You know, they need support. I think it's one of the biggest things, support and how to deal with it. The emotional intelligence piece, which we maybe expect and we shouldn't. Um, So we talked about earlier. I think it's something, it's the biggest area we have for improvement is the help and support because it's not going to get any, it's not going to change. It's only going to become even more uh, prevalent, in my opinion. Part of the academy director's course, we went to FC Midtjylland in Denmark. We're a very innovative club um, and Midtjylland had a transition coach which it was really interesting and the, and maybe you know about it, but his job was literally to help those players transition on and off the pitch from youth to pro and to make that transition smooth. And it was just, for me, it, was a, it, it just made so much sense. Uh, and I know clubs now are starting to implement it. Um, you know, you have different things like loans managers for players that are going away and coming back. But it's, you know, these are still young boys uh, and their brain is nowhere near fully developed, won't be getting developed to their probably mid-twenties, I think the research tells us now, but we have to to support them, uh, in my opinion, in a much better way to help them through that transition.
0: So, so interesting, that piece, because you'd imagine a person in a role of that would be such a huge value add to any football club. I mean, in the Premier League and the EFL today, you see proliferated pathways, coaches, pathways, managers, so on and so forth, but I think transition coach I've never really heard of but that's an interesting one and one which I've jotted down here um, I mean looking at the evolution of the game though on the field Sean I mean one presentation I always refer back to is Marcelo Bielsa presenting at the CBF conference I believe it's in 2015 where he's speaking about generalists over specialists and he's speaking about the IDP of a footballer they should always be able to play three four different positions <laughs> this multifunctionality of football I've always found enlightening as equally engaging and interesting. And it's always something which I've seen from a Bielsa team. I'm sure you can echo that, but it's something which we're beginning to see proliferate a lot through top flight football, maybe it is. Yeah.
1: The game, I mean, people talk about formations. It's a starting position and the game is just fluid. You have to be able to, you know, the game is, it's situational. I mean, you talk about what, what the game demands and requires. It's different every game, right? And it's different than certain positions in every game. So you're not able to, to show your attributes in the way that you want to. So you, you have to be, in my opinion, a much more well-rounded player because the game requires more solutions, right? Just because of how it's evolved uh, physically. But, you know, I think you look at teams who you always see, BLC's teams are, you know, you watch them and they're exciting and they can be really enjoyable to watch and then they can be frustrating because they're they're just so open and they just get... And you're going, you know, change something, do something, right? And, but at the same time, you know, he's trying to be innovative and he's trying to find new ways. Guardiola the same way. They, well, they just see blocks for the most part. They have to become so innovative in a different way to break down opponents, drag them out. What spaces can they get into? And um, for me, it's really interesting to see all these little chess games and the game's going to evolve, right? It was 4-3-3 three, three expansive and now three five two. It just evolves. And and I think that's the interesting and exciting piece for me. And it's, I think I alluded to it earlier is, you know, a philosophy has to have some adaptability and flexibility, right? The same way, positional, you know, formations and positions. The game's too fluid. The game is what you can do, watch as many games as you want and as many scouting videos as you want. And the game might be completely different. So the players have to adapt. The players are the ones who have to problem solve. The players are the ones who have to. Really find the solutions to what to to you know what the opponents are giving them. So we have to train in that way. We have to teach in that way, which again means more back to them, right? And I think I said it: is they learn by experiencing. Constraints can obviously challenge them, and coaches can facilitate and set things up to bring certain behaviors maybe out. But there's no, in my opinion, there's no. I think as Fabregas said, it's gotten to a point where everybody's trying to tell the players what they should do in every every action every moment and i couldn't agree I, I i couldn't agree with him you know we're going to start to stifle creativity we're going to develop robots over the, the the flare players and the the difference makers that the game needs that the game you know absolutely is crying out for um so for us it's a balance youth development you know it, it, we have to we have to embrace creativity we have to embrace um players who do things that maybe by the book is wrong, right? On numerical disadvantage, playback. Nah, go on. 1v2. Have a go. See what you can do. So I think it's an interesting one. Again, for me, the, the game goes full circle. Um, a lot of the things are being done. You know, it's not the first time. Maybe it's the first time some people are hearing them, but a lot of it's just, you know, kind of old wine and new bottles.
0: Exactly, yeah. Uh, you're right, haven't gone full circle, I mean, because we're asking a global question here. It's not only like the same problem which clubs here in North America are facing. It's a worldwide kind of, not even epidemic, but it's a worldwide problem. But the solution may be as simple as a local solution, such as found on the streets of Derry City. You know, to echo what we spoke about at the very start of this conversation.
1: Yeah, it, it for me, it has it has to be the balance of it, right? There's Social media and and everybody has an opinion. Everybody has a philosophy and that's great. And that's fantastic. And um, I think it's really helped people share their ideas. But at the end of the day, it's still, it's still football. This is not, this is not rocket science. And it's especially not rocket science and youth development. Um, and so the the basics are still the basics, right? And and for me, you know, I remember, um it was Kevin uh, Thelbell, who was here is not Everton. You know, players need to, first of all, be burned into the basics, really be really brought into the basics, right? The ability to simply, you know, have a game understanding, control the ball, pass the ball, dribble with the ball, like be, and that's it, foundation. And then give them the freedom to express themselves to see what then is going to be their weapon, what's going to be their specialty, what's going to be the thing that they're going to bring to the team, or what's going to be the reason they become a professional footballer. You know, you want well-rounded players, but then it's the weapon that's going to be, but you can't, you know, Can you, can you make it better? Yes. But they'll find that out. Like they'll find out that one V one, right. That's me. That's my weapon. That's great. You know, and I think it's our job, honestly, just to to facilitate that and, and they'll show us, not we show them.
0: Exactly. And I mean, like we spent a good part of this, well, a large part of this podcast, Sean speaking about the development and education and others. What about yourself? I mean, you spoke about the advantages that you have working in a huge organization such as Red Bull, the start that you were handed at Barris Academy, and indeed all the other experiences you had from Pennsylvania back to Derry and whatnot. But who are you looking into and what are you looking into, I mean, outside of football, to kind of update that leadership and management hard drive? Yeah, I've
1: been fortunate enough... um... So I'm taking a master's in, in sport and directorship through the GIS uh, uh, organization. So we're actually head there in a couple of weeks' time. But one of our assessments was, you know, to kind of audit a high-performance organization. So a friend of, uh, of mine on the course, Darren Poyle, he was a coach at San Antonio FC, now it Miami, and they just named uh, one of Phil's assistants there. But he worked there, and he got us in with the uh, San Antonio Spurs. And the San Antonio Spurs you know, one of the most successful basketball teams in the NBA. But what was really intriguing about that is, well, they're in a very small market. They didn't have all the global superstars that pay the most money, but what they had and and why they were successful was that they had an identity and they had a humility to them and they, they brought in the types of players that fit their identity. So when you talk about going to an organization and learning how to be successful and have sustainable success, it's not just about money. It's not just about buying the best. It's it's, a, it's it's really interesting for me is, well, no, you create a culture and you, you your scouting is because you want to bring staff and players in who fit that culture. And then once you have everybody buying in, then great things can happen. And we've seen a lot of teams be good for a while, but the sustainable success that they had was unbelievable. So we talk about learning from different sports. Listen, everybody read the, the New Zealand All Blacks book, right? In regards to, you know, how many times, you know, sweep the sheds, as simple as it sounds, but humility, like just how can we instill that humility in players and kind of selfness? This is one of the things that's big here. You can learn from everything. You can also learn what not to do, right? I look at, for me, I look at clubs that are just, you know, that don't have sustainable sustained success just because they keep changing their identity depending on who's the first team manager. Like if if I'm if I'm an academy director of any club, I want to be somewhere where I there's clarity of what who this is who we are. Whether I'm leaving and the next person in, there's clarity in what that role is. There's clarity in what the club is all about. Rebels, unbelievable for that. Um, again, thinking about some other organizations that have that. I mean, Ajax, Barcelona, right? It doesn't matter. You never you don't even know the head coach. It doesn't matter. That's their identity. That's who they are for the most part. Barca lost it for a little bit and I've got it back again with the young players and it's not a coincidence they're having success again um, so look at the San Antonio Spurs look at the Formula One and, and how they've kind of created their identity as a as a Red Bull Formula One the success that they're having I think you can learn from all different sports um, and again like I said on this course I've been fortunate enough to, to talk with and um, learn from a lot of different uh, leaders and and obviously um, you know a couple of them now kind of become a bit you know of a mentor for me which is fantastic
0: And I mean, as we come to a close on this podcast, Sean, I mean, anyone who's slightly bit inspired about your journey and wishes to thread a similar path, what advice would you have for them? Yeah. I mean, for me, it's, it's probably starting with the end in
1: mind. Where where do you want to go? What do you, what do you want to be? You want to be a coach and and that's where then taking the steps towards that uh, in learning, experiencing, you know, you, you talked about earlier yourself, you're getting into these different clubs and going and observing and, Sometimes that's the best learning. It's just going and watching and observing and watching the best people do their job, ask questions. You know, one of the things on a previous podcast that was advice for either, I think it was for coaches, was like, just be inquisitive, but be humble, right? And I think sometimes people just think they have it solved. And and again, you know, again, I, through my experience, 15 years, and, and I thought just because if your teams are winning and players are being developed, and I had no idea how much I didn't know until I went to, you know, Barca. And then I realized, oh my, you know, nothing. You have no idea what the standards are, really are. So just that humility and it, it did, it was humbling and it was unbelievable. And I kind of carried that and never thinking of it solved and, and just keep wanting to learn, keep wanting to gain experiences. And, um, you know, for me, I'm here now three and a half years and I love it. And I see myself here for a long time, hopefully, but you're still getting better and you're still growing and you're still hopefully developing yourself as an individual. And, you know, that's what I'm going to keep trying to do and bring in the best people around me, uh, the subject matter experts, because ultimately, you know, my role is again, facilitate. They're the ones that run the Academy. So having the best people around you <laughs> for anybody in a, in a leadership role, like uh, that's my best advice.
0: It's never ending
1: game, isn't it? For sure. For sure. Never, there's never an end line, which is the exciting part about it.
0: Sean, I mean, I've taken a lot away from this conversation. I know countless others listening, tuning in, listening to this will have done too. Thanks so much for coming on. Really enjoyed it.
1: Oh, my pleasure. All right, then we'll connect soon. Thank you.